Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Today, we finish a two-part conclusion of our series on the seven churches of Revelation. If you can, please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapters 2 and 3 as John concludes his message, How to Be an Overcomer. Overcoming a situation doesn't always mean changing a situation. And so today, if you're here with an illness... And you say, well, I want to overcome that. I want to be healed. Well, we all, who doesn't want to be healed? And we pray for it to be healed. And many times God heals. Sometimes God chooses not to heal us physically. But overcoming a situation doesn't always mean changing a situation. But watch this. Watch this next statement. Overcoming a situation, I'm saying it again, doesn't always mean changing a situation. It means rising above the situation. Now, we love it when God changes it. We've got a problem, God just takes the problem away. Hallelujah, praise God, I don't have that problem anymore. Well, sometimes he does that. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't change the situation. What he does, he changes us. And he shows us how to rise above that problem. Now, the best example we have here at First Baptist in the last few years, really, and certainly in the last few months, of one of our own who had a problem. And yet she learned to rise above that problem and to overcome that problem is a lady named Vanessa Vordenbaum. Vanessa got saved back in 1967 at a James Robinson crusade. She actually got baptized here at First Baptist in 1977. And for these many years, since 77, she has been a faithful part of our church family. Sang in the choir, directed one of the largest single adult Sunday school classes in our church, and everybody loved Vanessa. And she had a way of making you feel like that you were her very best friend. In fact, I always thought I really was her best friend until I heard everybody else say that they were her best friend. Well, we all felt that way with her. She was that type of person. In fact, in her Sunday school class, she was so wonderful and so engaging and so welcoming in this singles class that even though it was a single Sunday school class, as you can imagine, a room full of single people, some of them are going to, you know, develop some chemistry with somebody else and pair off and get married, there were a lot of people that would get married and they would stay in the single Sunday school class. Now, who ever heard of something like that? It's the only class I know of in the world where when visitors come on Sunday morning, Vanessa would say, now, are you single or married? And they would say, well, I'm single. That's why I came to this class. She said, okay, you're single. You sit on this side. If you hit it off with somebody to get married, you have to stay in the class. You sit over here on this side. Nobody wanted to leave her class is my point. In 2013, she developed ovarian cancer, multiple surgeries, chemotherapy like crazy, radiation like you would not believe. She prayed to be healed. We all prayed for her to be healed. She she knew, if I've ever known anybody who had a strong faith in God, she knew that God could heal her, and so did the rest of us. And yet, a few weeks ago, she died. Now, it would be easy to look at that situation and say, well... In her particular case, cancer overcame her. Let me say this. Cancer overcame her body, but cancer didn't overcome her. 
She overcame that cancer because she can, you know, I'll tell you this, cancer can do a lot of things. It can take your hair, can take your energy, can take your strength. It can even take your body and it can take your physical life. But I'll tell you what cancer can't do. And we saw this in Vanessa. It can't take your joy, can't take your peace, can't take your witness for Christ, can't take your enthusiasm about life, can't take your determination. And I can't tell you since 2013 how many conversations I've had with Vanessa and she would say to me, listen, John, I know I'm in a mess and this is a battle of the first degree, but I know this in my heart. Either way it goes, God's got this and I'm going to be okay. You see, she rose above a situation even though the situation didn't change. And that's what I'm saying. To be an overcomer is not to say, God, what I'm going to do is sit back, and if you change the situation, then I'll trust you, then I'll serve you, then I'll love you, and then I'll share your love with others. No. Being an overcomer is saying, God, here's the situation. Here's the mountain in my life. I wish you would move it. I know you can move it. But even if you don't move it, God, with you, I'm going to either tunnel through it I'm going to climb over it, but one way or the other, God, I will overcome this situation because the overcomer, Jesus, is living on the inside of me. Now, the question is, this is the most practical, this is the heart of the sermon now, how do we overcome? I mean, if you're here today battling, battling depression, if you're here today you know, battling joblessness, you're here today battling cancer, you're here today, your family life has imploded before you. And you're going through something right now that you never in a thousand lives would have thought that you would be going through. And now you're going through it. And you're thinking, this is unthinkable. This was supposed to be somebody else's problem. There's no way in the world that I was supposed to be walking through this valley that I'm walking through right now. John, I don't think I can overcome it because I, this thing is overcoming me. I want to get this point as strongly across it as I possibly can. If you will learn who you are in Christ, And if you will learn how to overcome, there is nothing that will ever come into your life that will overcome you. You, by the grace of God, will overcome that thing. Now, the question is, and if you're a note taker, here we go. I'm going to give you some things to jot down. And I would encourage you to jot it down unless you just can memorize it in your mind. And you just hear it and get it, then you're fine. But I'm going to give you three ways that you can overcome. Whatever you're facing today, all three of these ways are imperative. Number one, you overcome by faith. Faith. Now, turn back a few pages to the book of 1 John in chapter number 5. The same man who wrote the Revelation wrote 1 John, the Apostle John. He wrote 2 and 3 John in the the Gospel of John. But in 1 John chapter 5, no message on overcoming would be complete without this verse. 1 John chapter 5 And verse number four. Now look at the first sentence. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Let's say that together. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What does that mean? It means that if you are truly saved, that mountain that you're facing, that battle that you're fighting, you will overcome it. That is one of the benefits of being saved. And that's why I said at the beginning, we're not saved by overcoming. We overcome because we're saved. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, if I stop the service right now and send everybody home, that ought, this ought to encourage you today. Because if you are saved, you will overcome. It's a promise. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And you say, well, John, how am I going to overcome? Well, I've already given you the first answer by faith. But look how the Bible says it. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Some translations say your faith. But the idea 
it's ours and yours. It's faith. It's the faith that we all have. Faith is how we overcome the world. Now, this whole idea of faith, especially in the day in which we live, people are using that word very loosely. And sometimes you'll hear a politician or a celebrity or an athlete, and they're being interviewed, and, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, you know, when I go through a hard time, I really lean on my faith. Well, I think we all know what they mean by that. I hope they know what they mean by that. I'm not sure they know what that means. Technically and strictly and biblically speaking, when I go through a hard time, I want to say this, I don't lean on my faith. I lean on the object of my faith. You say, well, you're just splitting a hair. Well, I am, but it ought to be split. Because your faith is not what you're supposed to lean on. The Bible says sometimes our faith is weak, sometimes our faith wavers, sometimes our faith is little like a mustard seed. You don't lean on your faith, you lean on the object of your faith. And the object of your faith is Jesus. And as I've said before, weak faith in a strong object is better than strong faith in a weak object. So as long as God is the object of your faith, lean on Him. Lean on Him. Now, as we think about God being the object and the Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus being the object of our faith, that is so true. But I want to develop that even more. And I want to give you three little sayings, little very short sentences that you could memorize and you could say this. Sometimes when I'm going through something, I'll say one of these things. Sometimes I might say more than one of them. Sometimes I don't even say it, but it's just in my heart, and faith has to be in our heart. So when we're talking about we're leaning on God, we're putting our faith in God, faith has to have an object, we're going through a terrible situation out here, we want to overcome it, how do we do it? Here's what you have to put your faith in. Number one statement, you have to put your faith in this, that God is in control. I've said that in this pulpit, I don't know how many times. I've been a thousand times or more through the years I have said that, that God is sovereign. That means he rules and reigns over our lives. That doesn't mean that God causes cancer. Doesn't mean that God caused you to lose your job last week. Doesn't mean that God caused your family life to implode. No, God, didn't call, God wouldn't even want that to happen. But, so God certainly didn't cause it. But it does mean this. Anything that comes into the life of a believer has been sifted through God's fingers so that by the time it gets to you, it came through Him. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it gives me tremendous peace, confidence, assurance to know that anything that comes into my life, God has signed off on it. I think about Job in the Old Testament. Job had all these problems. He lost his 10 kids. You think God would have taken his 10 kids alive? Absolutely not. He lost his health, he lost his finance, he lost his reputation, he lost everything he had. And we know from reading the book of Job that Satan was the one who brought all those problems into Job's life, but we also know this, Satan had to ask God's permission. So Satan caused the problem, but God allowed it so that by the time all that got into Job's life, it had come through the fingers of God. One of my favorite pastors years ago said this. He said one day he was at church and he went to his prayer room, middle of the day to pray. And as he was praying and the church was going through all kinds of challenges and difficulties and he was praying and he said, God spoke to him and God said this to him. He said, whatever comes into your life, you must view it as though it has come through my hands. Because if you don't, you're going to be bitter at people. Well, this person, look what they did to me. Now you're bitter. Or you're going to be 
all the, way, all the time running around rebuking the devil, and you can focus on me on the devil. Sometimes we ought to rebuke the devil, but you don't want to just go through your whole day thinking about the devil. I'd rather think about God than the devil, to be honest with you. He said, everything that happens in your life, you view it as coming to me. And he said he did that from that moment on, and it changed his whole outlook. And so what I'm saying to you today is, and I know in this room, and I know listening at home, there are people who are battling some serious things. If you can view that battle, that challenge, that difficulty as though it has come into your life through the hands of God, it'll totally change your outlook. So the first thing you want to say is, God's in control. Second thing you want to say is this, God's bigger than this. God's bigger than this. You say, John, this, is, this mountain is bigger than I am. I don't question that. Friend, I'll tell you this, it's not bigger than God. And so you just have to know God's bigger than this. That, that's what Vanessa was saying in that battle with cancer. God's got this. God's bigger than this. And then the third thing is, God will see me through this. God will see. See, if that is in your heart, you don't even have to say it. You don't even have to say that. It'd be better if you did say it. You don't have to say it. But if that is in your heart, God's in control God's bigger than this, and God will get me through this. going to change your outlook. Faith, first of all, has to be where? It has to be in our heart. What do we read in Romans 10? With the heart we believe. But you know what else about faith I've learned? Faith has to be not only in our heart. Faith has to be in our mouth. And faith has to come out of our mouth. And we have to declare and confess and express our faith. Romans 10. For with the heart man believes, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's something, I don't understand it, but I've experienced it, and the Bible says it's true. There's something about declaring our faith out loud, first to ourselves, second to God, then to others. I, I sometime, I got in a situation last week, not a big deal at all, but it was a situation that had frustrated me, and I'm trying to figure something out over a small purchase I had made, and God was beginning to teach me things through that, and I thought, you know what God is teaching me, and I, I, I knew what He was teaching me, and I just verbalized that to a handful of people that I'm close to, and I said, this is what God is teaching me in this, and as I heard myself say that, as I declared with my mouth what I believed in my heart, I could feel that my faith was growing and my faith was getting stronger and it was becoming cemented in my mind. That's why when, at the end of these services, if we say, if you've been saved, you prayed that prayer, stand up. Why do we do that? There's something about confessing your faith that seals it and makes it real in your heart. And so what am I saying? How, how do we overcome by faith? By remembering this, God's in control, God's bigger than this, and God will get me through this. You see, that, that, if that is in your heart and you can get that out of your mouth, it will change your life. Amen. Change your life. So how do we overcome? Number one, by faith. Number two way we overcome? By faithfulness. By just being faithful. By continuing to believe that. By continuing to declare that. By continuing to express that. By being faithful in our Bible reading. Faithful in our prayer in our prayer time each day, faithful to come to church on Sunday, faithful to invite our friends to come with us. And you just stay faithful and you just keep doing that. There's something about faithfulness that is very important. You see, God doesn't always even enable us to overcome immediately. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say. We overcome by faith. We overcome by faithfulness. And we overcome by giving God time. Time. Depending on the nature of your problem, it, it, it probably won't be completely resolved by the time you eat dinner tonight 
or the time you wake up. Some problems can be resolved that quickly. Most problems take time. And I've learned this. God and time are a powerful combination. And so if you can get this in your mind, okay, here's a problem of difficulty. Since I'm saved, I'm going to overcome. It's just a matter of how and when. But I've got to put into practice these things that the Bible is teaching. By faith, God's in control. God's bigger than this. God will see me through this. By faithfulness, just keep believing that. Keep confessing that. Stay in the Word. Stay on your knees. Stay in prayer. Keep coming to church. And then by giving God time. Now, as I've told you before, I love Max Licato. He's one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite authors. If I lived in San Antonio, the first Sunday I was there, I would join his church. I, I do believe I would. He's just, I love his heart. The thing I like about Max Licato, he believes the Bible, 100% inerrant. He never wavers on the Bible, but he's not mad about it. He's got a sweet spirit, and I'm drawn to that because I think that's how we should. He's got the truth, and he's got love, and it's a powerful combination. And I've been reading through this little book on and off for a while, You Are Never Alone. And several months ago, I read a story that he told, and I want to end with this story today. I, I think it's interesting to demonstrate the point I'm trying to make that when we have problems, sometimes God doesn't change the problem. He gets us over the problem, but he doesn't always do it immediately. It takes time. Bill Irwin was not the first person to ever walk the Appalachian Trail. He was not the only individual to begin in Springer Mountain, Georgia, and conclude on Mount Katahdin, Maine. Other adventuresome souls had hiked the 2,100 miles. Now, this says adventuresome souls. I want to say crazy people that would take a 2,100-mile walk. He wasn't the first to do it. Others had also endured the snow and the heat and the rain, slept on the ground, forded the streams, shivered in the cold. Bill Irwin was not the first to accomplish this feat, but he was the first in this respect. He was blind. Think about this. The Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine, 2,100 miles blind. He was 50 years old when, in 1990, he set out on the hike. A recovering alcoholic and committed Christian, he memorized 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and made it his mantra in life, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And that is what he did. He did not use maps, a GPS, or a compass. It was just Irwin, his German shepherd, and the rugged terrain of the mountains. He estimated that he fell down 5,000 times, which translates into an average of 20 times a day for eight months. He battled hypothermia, cracked his ribs, skinned his hands and knees more times than he could count. But Lakato says this, but he made it. He made the long walk by faith and not by sight. You are doing the same. Probably not on the trails of the Appalachians, but in the trials of life. Now today, as we come to the end of this message on being an overcomer, 
I want to say to you today, and I think this is God's mess, this is God's word to you today, especially, and I know that every sermon can't hit every soul right between the eyes, but this one might come as close as any because we all have stuff and problems and situations in our life. And I'm saying this today, if you are a child of God, you will overcome that problem. Just like Bill Irwin made it that 2,100 miles in the Appalachian Trail, you're going to make it. That's what God is saying to you. You're going to make it. Some of you may have come in here today, you're thinking about ending your life. I'm telling you that'd be the, that's tragic, that's sinful, that's wrong. And I'm telling you today, God's telling you today, stop thinking that. You're going to make it. And all you've got to do is have some faith, stay faithful, and give God time And one of these days, whether you go through that mountain, whether you go over that mountain, or whether God blows that mountain up and moves it off your path, you're going to come through it, and you're going to look back on it, and you're going to say this, you know what? Looking back on it in retrospect, you know, we all have 20-20 vision in the past, right? Looking back in retrospect, I now see why God allowed that to happen. I see why God allowed that into my life, because through that... He strengthened my faith, drew me into a close relationship with himself, which has resulted in greater peace, greater joy, greater confidence, greater assurance, has has better enabled me to do what? To minister to others who are fighting their own battles and going through their situations. You'll come to a day when you say, God, I don't only thank you for bringing me through it and over it. I thank you, God, for allowing it into my life because of all the good things that you did for me. Amen. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, you know what your difficulty is. You know what it it was when you woke up this morning. You just didn't know you were about to get a sermon on how to overcome it. Would you say this to God right now? Say, God, you know what I'm facing, and you know how overwhelmed I feel. But God, I want to declare my faith to you right now and say to you that I believe with all of my heart you're in control. You've allowed it. You're bigger than this. This situation will not get the last word on the story of my life. There's life beyond this. And would you just say to God, God, I I trust you to get me through this one way or the other. Just tell God you trust Him. Ask God to help you remain faithful and patient as you give Him time. Now, others today who have attentively sat and listened to this message, you've got problems just like those of us who are saved do, but you're sitting there right now thinking, well, now, wait a second. If I were saved, I would have the promise that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. But since I'm not sure I've ever been born of God, I don't have that promise for me. And so I don't have the promise that I'll overcome this situation. Well, you don't have it yet, but you can if you'll receive Christ today. Listen, friend, the good news is this. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to pay for your sins. You have sinned. I have sinned. Everybody has sinned. Those sins have separated us from God. That's why Jesus died. He shed his blood to wash our sins away. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And today, if you will open your heart and receive Jesus by faith, 
you'll not only become God's child, but in that same moment, you will become an overcomer. And you'll literally leave here a brand new person. You say, John, I need that. I need forgiveness. I need Jesus. Pray this prayer in your heart, all over the room, if you want to know that you're saved. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. Now tell him that. Trusting him, that's how you get saved. That seals your salvation. I trust you, Jesus. Amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we are so very happy for you. Please let us know about your new life in Christ so we can rejoice with you. You can send us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or give us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.